Hey, chiropractors, we're ready for another modern chiropractic marketing show with Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing strategies, content marketing, direct response marketing, and business development with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, and today I've got an interview. I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about all of them, but this one's kind of part of the year-long transition that I've mentioned. I'm not sure if you've heard me talk about uh, next summer, 2022, I am going to step away from uh, patient care and, and focus on uh, growing the practice, but also the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Group and the Chiropractic Success Academy and the mastermind we have going on. And, and I just feel like I can do a lot um, by freeing myself up a little bit. And, 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 you know, I just kind of had to be honest with myself and realize what my unique ability was and what was fascinating and motivating me after 17 years of, of practice. And so that's uh, the transition I am making. And in this episode with Dr. Ray Tuck, who has made that transition years ago, uh, we dive into that. And, you know, I want, if you have no desire to do that, I really think this episode is still for you because you can still set up your practice to where it could run without you treating patients. But if you are passionate about treating patients, all the better, right? There's no reason why you can't have a very efficient and thriving practice from a business standpoint while also providing great care and enjoying that. And so I, I think you're going to get some great information out of this episode from Dr. Tuck. And uh, we, we dive into a lot of the different topics, the things to look out for, how to prepare for it, and, and all the different nuances of potentially changing your path in, in how you want to uh, present yourself in this profession. Many different ways you can do it. I've been fortunate enough to where we have a, a great practice and also have grown the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Group and Chiropractic Success Academy with Dr. Bobby Maybe uh, exponentially over the last couple of years. And I'm excited to be able to, to work on all those things and really work on the, on the business. Uh, but before we dive into that interview, I do want to make mention of uh, an exciting live event, and that is the 2021 Adjust-a-Thon through MPI. Uh, couldn't have it last year, obviously, for uh, pandemic reasons, but we're going to be back in Overland Park, Kansas at Cleveland University. And Dr. Mark King, Dr. Corey Campbell, Dr. Brett Winchester, Dr. Sarah Mackey, and Dr. Erica Menerick will be there uh, hands-on, adjust-a-thon. This is one of their uh, probably top uh, live events each year, and uh, you, you won't want to miss this. So check that out. You can just go to the motionpalpation.org website, go to the seminars and find Overland Park, Kansas, and you can register for that. I highly recommend it. It's great, great hands-on experience. You're going to be learning from the best palpation and adjusters there are. So check that out. And here's my interview with Dr. Ray Tuck. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ray Tuck. I really appreciate your time today. I'm excited to dive into this topic of progressing through this career that we are blessed to have and going from potentially a treating doctor to more of a CEO role. And we're going to dive into that. But before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself personally and professionally, and we'll go from there. 
Sure. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited to, to, to dig into this conversation with you a little bit. My name is Ray Tuck. I am a second generation chiropractor. I've been very blessed to wanted to be a chiropractor since I was a little kid and worked in my dad's offices. He had multiple offices. So when I graduated in 1997 from National, I came back and opened up an office under his uh, group or umbrella, uh, if you will, of clinics. Practiced with him for a few years. I ended up separating uh, him from him. My partner uh, and I, uh, we business partner and I, we pulled away and we ran two of those clinics for a while. Unfortunately, in in 2005, my father had a, a stroke which was very unexpected. Uh, he was a very young man of 53 and uh, put me in a unique spot where I went from having two clinics and about six employees to about nine clinics and about 36 employees, give or take. And at that point, that's when I realized I needed to probably look at my role in the company a little different. At the time, we had probably about eight, nine doctors. We were running those offices, brought in some business consultants to help us build a framework and a 10-year plan on how we would turn it into fruition. On a personal note, I'm married with two children. I've been married for 27 years now. My wife still talks to me, which we're real excited okay. about. And I'm about ready to be a grandfather. So I'm so excited about that in September. So. Oh, that's great. That's great. And, and where do you live and where are some of your practices located? What regions? Sure. I know you have multiple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in uh, Virginia, mm-hmm. Southwest part in the mountains, uh, the more rural part of Virginia Tech is where Blacksburg is located and Blacksburg is our where our headquarters are. Perfect. My wife did, and I went to uh, Radford University right next door. So gotcha. you have to be a Virginia Tech fan if you live in Blacksburg or that's, people that's, throw toilet paper at your house. I went to Florida State, so there was a little rivalry there. When yeah, we've yeah. experienced some of that. Yeah, I was actually, <laughs> I was at Florida State when we we did actually win a uh, national championship. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome because yeah. something about Florida State used to whip us every time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it, that, Bowden had it down on. Famer. Yeah. And then you guys had Michael Vick and that was a little scary, but we were able to uh, handle that for a game. So that was good. But I, I appreciate the, the onboarding of how you got to, to where you are now. I actually made it public a few weeks ago in my Facebook group where I'm going to go down this journey as well of uh, I've been practicing for 16 years and been fortunate enough to do a lot of cool things with treating patients in different scenarios. And I'm going to next year at some point, probably June 30th is the date I've put down to, to step out of patient care and take on more of a CEO role. When you decided to do that, tell me a little bit about your, your, your headspace during that time. Was it stressful, exciting? Uh, where were you at on that? Actually, Kevin, I'd say it's both. I was scared to death because uh, multiple fronts. Number one, I absolutely love treating patients. Mm-hmm. I had such a ball and I still probably could say I miss it to this day. Mm-hmm. The interaction, watching patients go from a state where they're not able to live life to the fullest to really helping them achieve whatever their goal was. However, I will tell you one of the cool things and the exciting part is how can you expand that impact? In Southwest Virginia, we really wanted to make an impact on our communities. Uh, I grew up here, so watching people it, in, improve people's health and really changing the way they experience healthcare mm-hmm. was important to us. So putting those energies and experience as a clinician 
into building a organization around that, I think it has been very exciting, but it's, it's, it's scary as, as hell, to be honest with you, Kevin, because if you're producing income as a provider, as you are, and you're going to have to replace that income so that you can continue to, to grow and thrive. And so it's a little, it's a little scary at times. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I, I would say I've had this in my mind for a few years. I, I didn't know when it would be accelerated a little bit. I went from part or full-time to part-time after the pandemic. And that's, that was a big jump. So I'm treating patients Mondays and Thursdays only, and we're doing well. We've got a great doctor here that's full-time. And then bringing on another doctor in January to onboard for about six months before I do uh, step out. And yeah, for me, I just, um, I've been fortunate to really grow the modern chiropractic marketing group, the chiropractic success Academy, and also the practice. And between those three things, I feel like I can make a, a big impact and it's taking a lot of my time to develop that even further. And, and I think the more, uh, hopefully the chiropractors I can impact that'll offset some of the maybe purpose that I'll lose out on treating patients. Cause it is a big sense of purpose and, and you just, there's so many great things about treating patients. So I, I can appreciate what you're saying on that. Yeah. And it's funny you bring up about your bringing on uh, new doctors, because I think there's a lot of great young doctors out there uh, that are just graduating and they just want a great home to see patients and be able to focus and give a great patient-centered care uh, delivery, but trying to find those homes sometimes is a little frustrating for them too. Absolutely. So you providing that not only is impacting your patient base, mm -hmm. but also a real positive impact on the profession, I think. Definitely. And how long would you say you went from the decision you're going to step out of patient care to the actual day did you do? Was it a year, six months, four years? What was that process like? I'm going to have to dust off the memory. <laughs> I, I did go uh, to a part-time practice. Some of that was just, as I mentioned about the, the income reality, when you're Kevin in your practice, you're, you're bringing in cash flow, right? And, and it's, it's the dirty secret, unfortunately, that we are running businesses. And I have to say, in, in thinking about us hopping on, the one thing that always pops in my mind, healthcare is a fickle business, right? Because if you were running a manufacturing company or another group, it's, it's not bad that profits are your main kind of uh, net KPI, if you will, yeah. care. but the reality is we got people's lives at stake here. And mm -hmm. sometimes the best decision for a patient isn't always the best financial decision. So you've got to buffer that in or budget that in by pulling out part-time and then slowly replacing that with a younger doctor can help make sure that you don't compromise the patient experience or patient outcomes, except make sure that you can live a good life with a strong business. A healthy business is part of having, being able to provide great care. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm going to give you an example of what I, one of the things I'm doing, and then I'll let you think on something maybe that you did to help with the, the transition. But I'm going to, I've been in talking with a few different other groups that teach educational workshops, and we're going to have anywhere from four to six um, you know, educational workshops hosted at our office each year and try to turn our, our practice into kind of like a, a learning environment to where we make sure that my providers also attend those and really dive into it. Obviously, we'll have a lot of other outside providers coming in, but I want to, I really want to make sure that we attach a clinical training aspect to the practice so that the doctors that do work here have that continual growth clinically. And that's something that I'm 
uh, going to invest in to obviously make sure that the level of care is what it needs to be in this practice. Was there anything in particular that you did to make sure that your doctors really were able to convey the same type of care that you were when you were treating patients? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. And I, I hope I don't dig too deep on, on, on the answer here, but you use the term evidence-based, it always creates all kinds of emotions. And, mm-hmm. and, and of course, as clinicians, we always think about evidence-based care delivery, but in truth, whether it's running a business or whatever, it's just taking data, objectively looking at the data and making the best decision. And so along that same line, we created some, what I would call KPIs or, or key performance indicators. And we had three. The first one is patient experience or patient perception of their experience. Number mm-hmm. two was quality metrics. Uh, we sat down and we asked ourselves literally, what, what does an appropriate evidence-based care delivery look like? And we defined that to create a quality review. And then our last one is a financial sustainability. And so we felt not to overuse an analogy of the three-legged stool but if you have great profits and a great quality, but you give a crappy experience to your patients, then all of a sudden you're not going to make it. You can have great quality and, and, and great patient experience, but if you're not managing your financials appropriately, again, you, you're not going to be sustainable for your patients in the future. Mm-hmm. So we leveraged that. And so we trained our doctors on what quality care looks like. And then we bought, so we defined it, we taught it, and then we, we held them accountable to it. And we did that on all three of those areas. Does that Perfect. question? No, it does. And it also touches on something that I've thought a lot about. And, and this was one of the things I was excited about talking to you with because Jay Greenstein had connected us and he had mentioned this component, but I feel like I need to improve my, and, and double down on my leadership. And, and I think that's what you essentially summarized was you took a leadership role in making sure that this was obviously the, the level of care was really high. The communication was good. The trainings were good. And I think sometimes as chiropractors, and this I think is important for our audience to hear, even if you're not looking to stop treating patients, but let's say you own a practice and you have team members of any right. level, uh, the leadership side of things. Would you say that's been one of the biggest components for you? And then what are some of the things uh, I'm going to kind of do, do a couple of questions here at one time. Yeah, so, <laughs> what are some of the things in the profession that uh, let's say owner chiropractors struggle with from a leadership standpoint? Sure. I, I, so ju- just as a side note, mm-hmm. I've, I've been blessed to be on a medical board in Virginia. It's a regulatory board. And so I had an opportunity to hang out with a lot of non-chiropractors that are mm-hmm. caring. That's probably one of the most educational experiences I, I had. Mm-hmm. And so when you start benchmarking our patient experience and really our patient outcomes, yeah, we're awesome, man. We are the tops. I've, I've had a lot of medical doctors say, man, I wish I could have patients that love me the way your patients love you guys. But where we sometimes lack is the financial side. And I hate to overshoot that too much. But when we dig in and work with other, when we dig in and work with other uh, practices, we find that their financial reporting uh, and the feedback that they give their team, whether it be staff or doctors, 
is either not consistent, is is skewed in some manner. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, their team doesn't have full clarity on where the problems are and what they can do to improve. So for me, you bring up leadership. For me, I feel like as a leader, my job is to say, okay, these are what we need to hit. To, mm-hmm. to This is where we're going. This is our ultimate goal. But this is the day-to-day information. This is the month-to-month information. And here quarterly, we look at things quarterly as well as daily. And that allows us to align compensation for our doctors yep. with the, the outcomes we want, our staff the same way. And by doing that efficiently and effectively, then doctors can spend more time seeing patients and not spend as much time putting fires out, which we often feel when we're business owners and providers. Mm-hmm. So you provide the clarity, which is great. Mm-hmm. You give them a platform to, to grow as providers, and then they don't have to worry about necessarily all of that stuff. Right. Yeah, uh, exactly. And it's scary, but the numbers are the numbers mm-hmm. sometimes. And, and I say sometimes because remember I, earlier I said sometimes the best decision for the patient isn't always the best financial decision. Mm-hmm. So they can be at odds, but yeah, and by doing that, I will tell you as our engagement with our employees and our doctors mm-hmm. is, is better than it's ever been in our group. Yep. Patients are happier than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, our profits have been better. And, and so as a result of that, over the last several year journey, which by the way, even predates COVID, we we were seeing these results and that's very exciting to us because we feel like we can just continue to grow and, and expand our impact from there. Perfect. And what do you, what does your team meetings or communication look like? Is it uh, weekly? Do you have gr- group meetings, sometimes one-on-one? Like how does all that look like in your business? Well, so remember we have 10 locations. We have about 18 doctors. We also have a couple other small divisions of our company, which I won't bore you with today. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, we have a leadership team huddle. Yep. So ahead of each of those departments, mm-hmm. and then we have a doctor huddle, and then each clinic has a huddle. All of those huddles are done weekly. We identify what's called a critical number. And the critical number doesn't always have to be a money number. It can mm-hmm. be anything that's going to drive success of the practices or the company. And then we have, we actually create a monthly report. Uh, We call it our practice vital signs. And Mm -hmm. it's all based on those three KPIs I mentioned and what drives those KPI numbers. And then once a month, we meet with every clinical team. We review that and where are opportunities to improve on any of those three KPIs. And then I'll finish with this one. And then Mm -hmm. quarterly, we we base our, we have the review again, but that's where we also base our performance uh, metrics on it that can impact their compensation. Mm -hmm. So that usually gets their uh, attention as well. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Speaking of financials, one of the questions I wanted to make sure I ask for anybody that's, and I have some thoughts on this, but I definitely haven't ironed it out completely yet, but anybody that's looking to do something like this, what do you recommend? How much of a runway, say, after they stop treating patients, is there going to be a period of time where the revenue could dip, but then come back as long as you're doing the right things? How much financial backing should they prepare to have to right. offset any of that? What are your What are some of your thoughts on that? All right, Docs, here is a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop 
just for chiropractors. And you can sign up for that at bit.ly, bit.ly slash propel MCM. That is bit.ly, bit.ly, propel MCM, modern chiropractic marketing, right? And so check out that link. And we're going to have you go over five SEO secrets to owning the first page of Google uh, without buying ads. And Darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. That could probably be a pretty I, the answer is yes. You need to probably expect a dip. If patients love you, Kevin, the, the chances of 100% of them just transitioning to another doctor are probably slim. Yeah. However, you might be able to capture 70% of them, depending mm-hmm. on who the doctor is and how well they do, 80% of them. So I think you should definitely create scenarios or contingency plans. I can't say I would have two months of savings or, or any of that. That that probably is going to depend on how much of the pieces you, you have in place before you make that big step. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say sometimes you have to double down on your sweat equity probably before you double down on your cash just mm-hmm. so that you can... As much as you can have, if you got to work a, a little bit on the evenings or weekends or that hustle on the front end is going to pay dividends down the road when you do take that step away. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the sweat equity part and that's been, I have a, a multi-layered approach here. One is aside from my emergency savings fund, I did not want that money to be tied into this at all. That's in case hurricanes or pandemics. But then I put together a, a nice, oper- I call it an opportunity fund where it's, for me, this is an opportunity to buy my time uh, a bit. And so I've got that there to weather the storm once that, once I do stop treating patients. So there's that, but also now that I'm about a year away from that. And now that COVID, at least down here in Florida has been, we're pretty good as far as not necessarily our numbers or anything in this, uh, the cases, but we've gone about our life down here. So there's really no lockdowns and and stuff like that. So we're I'm getting out there just getting almost, I've been practicing since 05, but I opened my own practice in 2010. And it's almost like I'm doing that again for this next year where, where I'm like getting out there, I'm meeting with a lot of different types of people, getting that community outreach going. Cause we've always been pretty strong at it. And then COVID definitely harmed that for everybody, but I'm getting really back on the saddle. So that's the second part of my plan. And then the third is bringing uh, down a doctor from New Jersey who actually, ironically, he, he doesn't mind me telling the story, but he had hired me to get his practice to be more scalable and then sellable because he wanted to move his family, ironically, to Boca Raton, Florida. So I, we did that and he's uh, signed on the dotted line to sell and he'll be down here. And he's the one that's going to start with us in, in, in cool. January. And what was cool about the situation was he did everything I told him to do. And he did a lot of marketing and all that stuff. And so uh, he'll do that when he comes down here. So that's kind of my approach to try to offset it as much as possible. I, that, that sounds very sound. And I think you hit a couple interesting points there. And one is every situation is a little different, but not everybody's going to have the opportunity to know who they're hiring before yeah. they bring down. I will tell you, when we look for doctors that want to join our group, we look mm-hmm. for a couple different things. Some coachable is certainly mm-hmm. one of them. Um, yeah. In fact, the joke, we have another partner in our group who he's in charge of doctor performance and he's really 
the technical term in the healthcare community, they call it a CMO. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of is how he, his role with our, our chiropractic clinics. Mm-hmm. He says there's one main technique that our doc, all our doctors have to make sure they're, you know, really great at, and that's mm-hmm. the F and H technique. And that is they got to be flexible and humble. And that means they're coachable. And that means they're willing to take feedback and they're willing yeah. to, to not necessarily get so wrapped up about being right, but about doing the right thing. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's good. That's important. And obviously that can be a, a problem sometimes. Yeah. I've had associates before and one, I just had some that were good at what they did, but didn't really bring a lot of coachability or even bedside manner to the table. <laughs> like, I always liken them to like the Terrell Owens of the NFL, where they're great at what they do, but they're the locker room cancer. And that's <laughs> not going to, that's not going to last too long. Table upside down mm-hmm. a little bit. Too. Also, I think it's our responsibility as the one hiring doctors to set up a good work environment because sometimes we and ourselves can take a potentially great doctor, but not have the right work environment. And we could, turn them into that locker room cancer mm-hmm. ourselves inadvertently, just because we don't have the right systems in place or not, what have you. If we weren't human beings, it would be a lot easier. We all act like humans and it really screws things up someday. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> all right. We got a new special from Cairo Up specific for modern chiropractic marketing listeners. You were going to get 15% off your monthly subscription for your first year with ChiroUp. And with ChiroUp, you're going to have access to condition-specific patient reports with online and mobile access, best practices protocols for over 100 conditions with video tutorials, clinic dashboard with key practice stats and outcomes, and auto-generated MD initial and release summaries, plus much more. And uh, I think it's a great supplement to your overall content marketing strategy. And all you need to do is go check out them at bit.ly, B-I-T slash and you can get 15% off for a full year. And if you do that and you email me, Kevin at moderndeskjockey.com, I will uh, throw in a 30-minute consult call with you uh, to go over how you can utilize some of this to supplement your content marketing to help grow your practice. So check that out at bit.ly, bit.ly slash MCM, as in Modern Chiropractic Marketing. Check that out for 15% off your yearly subscription. I wanted to ask a, a question. This one's more of a selfish one here. We we sure. are out of network with insurances. We got a got a fairly high cash rate. Not not out of this world. We're in an affluent city of Boca Raton. Is, is one is your practice in network with insurances? Two, have you worked with other chiropractors outside of your business that you've consulted with that did this transition to CEO that was more of a cash based practice? So. The answer is uh, no on the, the last one. I really haven't. I will tell you, this sounds, you'll notice I said three KPIs, right? Yeah. Um, and none of those three had anything to do with insurance networks. Mm-hmm. That, this is a personal philosophy here, but our point of entry is a lot less than that caregiver. So I really think whether you're in network or out of network, if you're given a great experience mm-hmm. and, and, and you're given great outcomes, you can set the financial side up so mm-hmm. that obviously you could price yourself out of business. You mm-hmm. don't want to get too high, yeah. but being out of network sure does allow you more flexibility to balance in uh, income and expenses, if you will. I will tell you in our market where it's more rural, so yeah. we really haven't had an opportunity to take that step across the board, but we have taken it with certain insurance companies mm-hmm. that uh, quite 
bluntly, the cost of doing business with that insurance costs more than we can provide the care. We're not going to we're not going to compromise quality care just so that we can have that that mm-hmm. that influx of patients that we're working harder, but we're actually losing ground. And I think the term we use for that is it sucks. We'd rather focus on doing a good job. And we're blessed. We have a great society. We have our economy is is great. Focus on giving a great product. And I think people will, so I don't think it matters from my perspective. We also work with a lot of people that they have uh, nutritional stuff mm-hmm. or they have acupuncture or massage. Income is income. Expenses yeah. are expenses. When you get to that level, I'm not taking a stance on what I think is better or if you should or shouldn't. But if you can balance that out, I don't think it really matters. And of course, you in your world, you're the marketer, right? The more new patients in is going to, so the bigger your outreach in terms of patient acquisition, the better your bottom line is going to look if you manage it correctly. Yeah. And that's essentially, we built the practice early on in network, but everything in Florida kind of went ash or basically 40 to $45 a visit across the board. And, and it's just too uh, expensive to run a business here and cost of living. Yeah. Uh, like you said, we, we had to make that decision. I don't think, like I never say everybody should be cash. I think it's all state-based, rural versus urban, like affluence. There's all kinds of factors you, you got to take into consideration. I just know that I slowly increased our rates over time as my credibility in the community increased. And then it's going to be interesting to see when I step out, if we're able to maintain that. And so that's something I'll have to, to monitor, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about it. I had a, a consultant once I worked with, he said the problem without having that information that you're just talking about, it's like driving down the road with your windshield blackened out. You don't have that information. You can't make the right decision. Or mm-hmm. am I, should I drop out of network? Mm-hmm. Is my license that right? Or, yep. And unfortunately, as much as we'd love to think the whole system supports that, I think mm-hmm. reality is third-party payers are in the profit game and they want to make sure that they're making their stakeholders happy. And we're not necessarily one of those stakeholders when it comes to reimbursements and such. Yeah, that's for sure. So um, (laughs) how many years have you been in the CEO role? I have been doing this full time for gosh, probably eight, 10 years. Uh, Prior to that, I was seeing patients part time. Mm -hmm. I I would go back and see patients part time here and there. And of course, we all have those patients that that we we come off the bench for. But I've been in in this leadership role for that time. And, And I'm not necessarily saying that if you would, if I would have been in your shoes, I would have had the clarity to do it. But mm-hmm. when I went, we grew up to about 13 practices and about 75 employees. So mm-hmm. you only have so much time. And then I took on some volunteer roles that sucked up a lot of my week as well. So between those, I, it was, I was forced into to it a little bit, but I now realize that, that I made the right decision in yeah. terms of, for me, mm-hmm. in our and what have been some of the, the positives of getting out of patient care for you in your life? That's a great question. And I, I can't emphasize enough. I, I still sometimes are very tortured whether that was the right decision. <laughs> I am a chiropractor, but but I'll tell you that the positive thing is, and I, now I'm going to center it back on the patients. I'll tell you, when you've got a lot of responsibility where you've got even 10 employees and you're mm-hmm. 
and, and you're having a hard time focusing on a patient because you're thinking yeah. about payroll or you're thinking mm. about you got to deal with this employee situation or you're thinking about you got to set up the marketing plans and you're building the financials and you throw all that in there. If you can't be 100% engaged and, and present for your patients, I think you're letting them down. Yeah. And that was where I felt that my biggest benefit is, is now when I'm working on certain aspects of the company, I can be 100% engaged and I'm not feeling this torture moment. I joke about that chiropractors live their lives in, in five minute increments. Okay, I'm doing this. Now I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And But if you can't see it through sometimes, you're putting the little fires out, but you're really missing the, the, the big picture, I think sometimes. And me being in this role has allowed me to step up above it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I still can get in the weeds occasionally and make sure it's working right, but I can look at it from a 10,000 foot view better. No, it's perfect because that's something I've struggled with over the last few years. As I've grown the modern chiropractic marketing group and I travel more with speaking and really creating a lot of content for chiropractors, I've found myself getting distracted during patient care. And I think sometimes the best thing you can do is just be honest with yourself. And and that's where I started to finally be honest with myself and say, "I, I can't be distracted with patients and give the best care. And Mm -hmm. I don't see how I can get away from being distracted. And so I think, I do think the answer for my, for my patients is to have great providers in here that will have a less likelihood of being distracted. And so that's the way I've looked at it. And I've had an intimate knowledge of a couple big orthopedic groups because I actually before I bought my own office real estate, I, I just subletted space in a couple different orthopedic groups and they were big ones. And they were fortunate enough to have the type of revenue and profits to where the surgeons did, did all the, the doctor work. And they were able to afford having like a CFO or CEO type of role that was a business person, not a doctor. Obviously, it's very hard to do that in, in most chiropractic clinics because there's just not enough meat on the bone to hire a $300,000 a year CFO or something like that. Right. And so it struggles. So like you said, we live in five minute increments and we're wearing many hats and that can be difficult. Right. And the one thing that is probably better now than ever before, and it's something that I would encourage all your listeners to process, man, there's a lot of fractional options now and bringing in a CFO for five hours a week or 20 hours a month, let's say, that can help you on the strategic level and help you look at your financials. And mm-hmm. you can do the same thing with a CEO and those kind of things. And so you get the benefit of one CEO working with multiple mm-hmm practices, let's say, but it allows you to still get the quality of that $300,000 executive, but you don't have to pay 300,000 for it. And you're right. That's a big thing. Cause I realized like we have a CFO and he has been, a, you know, invaluable to us to yeah. go to the next level without him. We couldn't do what we're doing. Right. On the other hand, we weren't the size we were. I couldn't afford it. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah. You know? yeah. And there's not a ton of chiropractors out there with 10 clinics or so in the type of revenue model. I'm always, I love talking to docs that are doing it because it can be great to do it that way if you do it the right way. And that's what's cool about it. But you're right. I I did do a podcast about the idea of having a scaffolding around your business. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of different types of people that help me. And I do have Christine Odell, who's my de facto CFO. She handles my finances in a way that's both business and personal, helps me make these decisions and all that. Uh, She's not an accountant. She's not a financial advisor. I have my own 
advisor planner. I've got the accountant, I've got the bookkeeper, they keep in communication as well. So I do have a team around me uh, that doesn't cost me 300,000. So you're yeah, right. right. It, it can be done. It can be done. Well, and you know, it's funny you bring that up because one of the things I often run into when I'm working with folks is, mm -hmm. so there's a difference between a tax accountant, a finance accountant, mm -hmm. a bookkeeper. So you don't want to go to your bookkeeper for tax advice and you don't want to go to your tax accountant for how to manage the finances of your company. Now, I got a lot of tax accountants who may want to punch me in the gut, but their primary goal is to save you taxes. Sometimes that's not the best decision for the company, but it certainly will save you taxes. So they're, they're, you got to balance that out. And that's your role as a leader of your business to, to make sure you make the right decisions long-term and short-term. Definitely. And yeah. it's great to have the communication with those folks as well. And then ultimately, yeah, it's your decision. You got to take all the information in and make the decision. And that's what I've been uh, trying to do. And as I grow um, the three businesses that, that I that am part of. So it's definitely, I only have one location, but obviously three businesses. So there's a lot of moving parts and they all kind of intermingle. Right. It's pretty cool because I'll take some marketing strategies and ideas and use my practice as like an incubator for it and right. see if it works. And if not, then I'll report back to chiropractors on the podcast and stuff right? and, and vice versa. So it works out pretty well. I've gotten some great ideas from uh, interviewing people and applied it to my practice and it's been great. So it's, uh, th these are like little Trojan horses here. My, my right. podcast interview. <laughs> and Kevin, I, next time I go to Parker, I hope I don't get beat up in the alley for saying this. One of my pet peeves all the time and kudos for you is, I'm listening to somebody give me advice that hasn't been in practice for 20 years. Let me mm -hmm. tell you, healthcare is changing quick. So yeah. you've got your own laboratory, if you will. Mm -hmm. So when you give advice, I trust you because you're living it every day too. And without that, you become detached from the realities mm -hmm. of how hard it is some days to make these business decisions. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to wrap up with one topic and, and get your input on it a little bit, and then we'll go from there. But a lot of chiropractors will be listening to this and, and they want to, and I actually asked this, I asked the question in my Facebook group and some people gave the answer mm -hmm. and it was like, what's your, say your exit strategy. And, and a lot of them, their exit strategy was dying on the chiropractic table. It's <laughs> Bad plan. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> so let's talk to the to the chiropractor right now that's going to die on the table. I think even if that's your plan, is that you should at least still gear your practice to run without you or run without you treating patients because then you're going to have a more successful practice in general anyway. And there's no reason why you can't still. Uh, treat patients. So the, a lot of the people listening to this uh, aren't in the mindset of stopping treating, but what would you say to them anyway about setting up their practice accordingly to where it's a thriving practice with or without them? That's a great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to answer it with a personal experience. Okay. Perfect. I'm 34 years old. My father was 53. Mm -hmm. He had his own, he had five practices. I had two. One day wakes up, he starts having a stroke mm -hmm. six months later, he passed away from complications in that stroke. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yet his business was ill-equipped to handle being ran without him there. Mm -hmm. 
And I realized if I was going to merge the two groups together, Mm -hmm. it was my responsibility to fix it. So God forbid I get knocked out of the saddle. I didn't want to put that kind of pressure on my son, who is actually starting chiropractic school in the fall, as well as the other employees in the group or the patients Mm -hmm. and other employees. So I have been on this journey for Mm -hmm. since then to say, how can we set it up so that if I check out tomorrow, Mm-hmm. or I want to go back and see patients, or I want to run my little farm full-time. Mm-hmm. The company continued to thrive and grow without me. And I think mm-hmm. that is our responsibility. And it can be done as in a very effective manner in the way that you want it to be. It's your legacy in a sense. So doing that and setting up what an organizational chart. So everybody knows mm-hmm. who's supposed to be doing what, job descriptions, what success looks like in those building financials around those, building clarity on what quality care looks like and what a quality experience looks like. Then if I check out or I disappear for six months because I get some kind of strange illness, I have confidence that the company can continue to run the way we want it to. So if you don't have those metrics in place, then you start drifting quick and then all hell breaks loose. I hate to say it that way. And there's a lot of doctors that do die young and I've talked to them and, and, and it's a sad case sometimes. So uh, it's bad for the employees, it's sad for the patients and certainly it's awful for the families. Yeah, uh, definitely. And that's something that I actually took care of this year. I I had my first son last year, right after the pandemic. And so one of the things I wanted to do, because actually before I even dive into that, just to touch on what you said, it doesn't have to be something that's where you something as tragic as passing away, even it can be hurting yourself physically. Think about how many chiropractors hurt themselves and they have to have surgery on something. And so you're not practicing now. And so if you don't set up your practice like that, it's going to be really difficult when that happens. So on on what I did, once I started, we had the, we had our son and all that, I started to realize I really need to uh, tie things up from a financial protection standpoint. I won't go through the whole long drawn out process, but I have a pretty good thought out document of if I kick the bucket tomorrow, this is who's going to make payroll and manage right. all the finances of it. I've, I got a, a key person policy of a million dollars. So a million dollars would be injected into the business account. Who's, you know, should we, who's going to make the decision if we should sell the practice and who to sell it to the office, real estate, all those things. We got a, a will and a trust laid out. I've got plenty of money in a, from not money, but uh Mal, uh, not malpractice, life insurance, like personal life insurance, got plenty of money there in case that happens. And if I did kick the bucket tomorrow, my family will not have to worry about the money side of things, which I think too many people do not take care of. Yeah. Yeah. It's too true. And good for you for doing that. Cause I think we innately think we'll live forever, yeah. you know, but we know consciously we won't. Good for you for doing that because I think that's the most loving thing you can do for not just your family, but mm-hmm. for your people that depend on you, both patients as well as, as the people that work for you. So yeah. good for you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's uh, it's not easy to have those conversations. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Even to the point where it's like, what if my wife and I both kick the bucket at the same time? Who's going to raise the child? Those are hard, difficult conversations to have, but it just happens too often. And worst case scenario is you've set the business up. It's now a stress-free business that produces regular revenue for everyone. Patients are getting great care and you live to a hundred. So worst case scenario is you prepared all for nothing. I can live in that world. I'm with you. 
but exactly. Well, so. I, I really want to thank you for your, your time today. You brought a lot of great insights. And again, for the audience that's listening, if you have that desire to get into a more of a CEO role, start planning it out, see what it looks like. And hopefully today's episode was really helpful for that. If any of our audience has a question to reach out to you, doc, how can they do that? Sure. The easiest way is just to email me. I'm mm-hmm. pretty easy to find. My email is Tuck seven letters at tuckclinic.com. We do have a website that tuckclinic.com or and that type of thing. We have a little consultant business that that we do take a limited number of clients and and that has a website. I think it's tuckconsultingservices.com. I'm so bad at that part. I can't even remember the exact domain, but the easiest way is just to email me and happy to answer any questions and, and be helpful any way I can. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you inviting me on your show. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. Before you leave, make sure you check out our website. We've got blogs and podcasts and all kinds of great info at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com. We also have a closed Facebook group of the same name where a lot of like-minded chiropractors are workshopping ideas and making sure that we have this continual advancement of marketing, business, mindset, and just growth of your practice. So check us out, modernchiropracticmarketing.com and the Facebook group of the same name.